in your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and uh, Lord willing, I get through my message tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 2, and I want to read the Christmas story again, because I think it's one of those things that you ought to just read over and over, amen? How many, how many of us, we know that when we open the Bible and we read the Bible, it seems like every time we read the Bible, God gives us something new out of it. Well, we see some, some, some new application, some new angle, some new thing that, that impacts our lives. And so I want to look at the Christmas story tonight, Luke chapter 2. Stand with me if you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to begin in verse number 1, and we're going to go down through verse number 19. The Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David." to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch, over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, and you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Could you read verse 19 in unison together? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that as we turn to your word tonight, that you would, Lord, give our hearts attentiveness tonight. That you would give our hearts an openness to that which your spirit and your scriptures desires to do in us tonight. And Lord, I pray that in these moments, you would use your word. You would use your spirit. And that you would mold each of us further into the image of your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Amen. He is the greatest gift. I love how Paul described him in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. He said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, meaning his indescribable gift. He's the gift that keeps 
on giving. We talked about peace. We talked about joy. We talked about salvation. You know, I think it's, it's silly and it's really very sad when believers get superficially excited about Jesus. Because superficial equals shallow. And if our appreciation and application of Jesus is shallow, we will quickly set him aside and move on to the next shiny thing that captures our attention. You know, Christmas is a busy season. With all the hustle and the bustle, very often we move through the motions instead of truly meditating on the substance and significance of Christmas and the gift of Jesus, what it truly means. But tonight I want to consider the example of Mary. Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. And she provides for us a beautiful example of someone who is very intentional not to miss the meaning for the madness. The Bible says in verse number 19 that Mary kept. That means she intentionally treasured all these things and pondered them. That word pondered means she contemplated, she meditated, she connected the dots in her heart. And so tonight I want to consider this thought. The gift that keeps on giving food for thought. I'll tell you my original title. It got vetoed. Uh, I like my original title way better. It was... The gift that keeps on giving soul food. Isn't that better? But anyways, congratulations, Internet. Food for thought. All right. So let's consider Mary. The Bible says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I think, church, we have to start by recognizing the hindrances to meditation that exist. What keeps us from truly pausing to ponder, to treasure, to meditate, to contemplate on the things of God in this season in a deep and meaningful way? Well, I think one of the things that keeps us uh, from doing that is the chaotic surroundings. How many of us recognize Christmas can be chaotic? I mean, it seems like every day, every weekend, every there's something, right? Some sort of party, some sort of sales, some sort of happenings, some sort of goings. We are running, 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 running. But I'm going to tell you this, as chaotic as your Christmas can be, Mary's, Mary's Christmas was more chaotic. You think about this, her world had fallen apart. Her pregnancy, being an unwed pregnancy, made her a scandal among her community. Her personal world had fallen apart, but really the public world around her had been turned upside down. Think about the fact that we read here in Luke chapter 2 how the Roman Empire had required a census. And so the journey of Mary and Joseph from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about a 90-mile journey. Mary being great with child, uh, that probably took them somewhere between five and seven days to travel. You think traveling on the turnpike can be tough. You go out east, you think traveling on 95 can be tough. Talk about traveling with a third trimester lady Five to seven days on foot or donkey or whatever else they could muster. I'm going to tell you, I don't think that was pleasant for Mary at all. 
And then when they got to Bethlehem, you know what they found? They found that Bethlehem had been turned upside down because everyone was arriving at once and there wasn't room for anybody. You know, we sing the song, Silent Night. Oh, it's so nice, isn't it? It's so peaceful. It's so clean. You understand nothing about that situation was peaceful, nice, or clean. That was some rough doings. I mean, we like our little songs, but Silent Night is a lie. It is a lie, people. It is a lie. But when you look at Mary, there was chaos around her, but not in her. Hindrances to meditation. What keeps us from being able to truly meditate and appreciate? Well, consider the chaos around us, the chaotic surroundings. But also think about this, a critical spirit. Boy, how many of us recognize the Christmas season is full of things that aren't right? And it's real easy to get looking at the world and get looking at the neighbors and get looking at this and looking at that. And how dare you say happy holidays? How dare you do this? How dare you do that? And we can criticize, criticize, criticize. I don't like that Christmas is so commercialized and I don't like this. You realize for everything you have to complain about, Mary had more. Mary had more. Why would God allow the Romans to tax his people like that? Hmm. Why didn't Joseph book a room in Bethlehem before they left? Or why didn't they leave earlier so they could get in before the rush? And if that don't beat all, ladies, imagine having a baby and not several hours later a bunch of smelly shepherds showing up in the room. In the room. You think you have things to be critical of. You know, if Mary wanted to have a critical spirit, Mary very easily could have had a critical spirit. You know, if we're not careful, though, church, what will happen around Christmas time, the chaos will consume us. If we're not careful, what's going to happen? Our hearts will become critical. Our hearts will become hyper-focused on the negative. And that's a shame. Because what is the Christmas season all about? The Christmas season is about the fact that, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That, that, that because we couldn't go to Him, He came to us. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is the fact, about the fact that Jesus is our hope. And that people... People, not just people like us, but all people can be redeemed and that one day the world will be made right. And I'm going to tell you, church, there are a lot of things that can hinder us from truly meditating on the truths of Christmas. But like Mary, we have to be intentional to treasure and to ponder on the goodness, greatness, and graciousness of our God. 
So now I want to talk about how to do that, all right? So we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study tonight. I love this Bible study. I think I shared it once before, and I'm going to share it again. So we talked about hindrances to meditation. I want to talk tonight now about habits of meditation. So how do I do this? How do I learn to, to treasure, to ponder, to contemplate, to meditate on the good things of God? Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So let's talk about meditating, pondering, treasuring these things. The Bible says that Mary kept, verse 19, she treasured these things. The word there is rhema, literally the words and sayings, and pondered them, meditated on, put them together, connected the dots in her heart. Well, how do we do that? Well, I want to consider that word meditate and study that word a little bit in the Bible. Look at that word in a couple of different contexts to help us understand a full clarity of what that word means to do. And church, it's important because the world will tell you to meditate means to empty your mind. Hum. Can I tell you that is not Bible meditation. By the way, you shouldn't empty your mind. Amen. Bible meditation means that we fill our mind. Yes. And we fill it with God's word. Amen. So let's talk about how we do that. Look with me. We looked at Joshua 1.8. So I want to look at that Hebrew word meditate in a couple of different places that it is found. Look with me at Job chapter 27 and verse number 4. Job 27 and verse number 4. We'll play a little game tonight. Everybody up for a game on a Wednesday night? So I want you to look at the verse and I want you to tell me which of those English words is the same Hebrew word as meditate in Joshua 1.8. The Bible says, this, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Now what do you think? Which one of those English words is the same Hebrew word as meditate in Joshua 1.8? Barry, you're looking at me side-eyed. I got you thinking. Go, go later in the verse. Go later in the verse, farther. Oh, no, not wickedness. That's not a part of it. Utter. Utter. Yeah, that's all right. The word is utter. Or in other ways it's translated is to mutter. So what is uttering or muttering? Well, that's when people really talk and talk with themselves. By the way, it's not crazy to talk with yourself. My wife tells me she does it because she just needs intelligent conversation every now and then. But it's not crazy to talk with yourself. You know what it's telling us here? Part of meditation is slowing down and talking it out. Slow down and talk it out. Consider it. Communicate. I have here a conscious consideration. That's, that's a little tag I put with this verse. A conscious consideration. So what are we doing? We're slowing down and we are talking it out. Here's the thing. If you never slow down, you will never venture below the surface. If you never slow down, you will never venture 
below the surface. Oh, you might get through your Bible five times in a year, and I'm not saying there's not value to that, but if you don't slow down, you're never going to be able to dig deep. It's one of the reasons that I love and I always recommend journaling, especially in your devotions. That you, you read a, a proverb, and so you pick a, a, one of the proverbs, a verse or two out of that proverb, and, and you journal, you write, you study, you look up, well, this word, such and such, and you know what, God, that means this in my life, and that means that in my life, and you just slow down. For me, when I actually have to use my hand, it forces my brain to slow down and think a little more distinctly. And so for me, part of it is writing it out. But it is a conscious consideration. Slow down and talk it out. Journal. Talk to somebody about it. Talk to the Lord about it in prayer. If you never slow down, you will never venture below the surface. I call this conscience, conscious consideration. So what, what is the habit of meditation? Well, the first one is conscious consideration. Let me give you another verse. Again, all right, we're back to the game. Don't worry, Barry, I won't call on you this time. We're looking for the English word that is the same Hebrew word as Joshua 1, verse 8. Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I feel like Alex Trebek of old. Do, 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 do. Greg Russell. What word do you think it is? Imagine. Imagine. Give him a hand, everybody. That's good. Imagine. So if to utter was conscious consideration, the word imagine or imagination, I call this creative contemplation. Creative contemplation. What is to imagine or an imagination? Well, it refers to creativity and visualization. In other words... Think it through in real life. Put yourself there. Draw it out. So think about it. Think about the Christmas story. What if you were Mary? What if you were Mary and, and, and uprooted late in your pregnancy to, to take this week-long journey to a city where there was no room and then you had your baby and laid him in an animal feeding trough and shepherds showed up out of nowhere. Put yourself there. Walk through the paces. Imagine, men, that you were Joseph, and the lady you were engaged to be married to became great with child, and you weren't the daddy. Imagine the turmoil, the conflict in your soul. Imagine then that conversation with the angel Gabriel. Imagine you as Joseph. Now, now you, have, you have surrendered to God's call for you to be the earthly stepfather of his son. But now, guess what? The stigma in the community hasn't gone away. Think it through. Put yourself there. Imagine being a smelly shepherd. Right? The angels appearing. You know... The Bible says their immediate reaction was that they were sore afraid. Imagine. You know, sometimes it helps us to flesh it out. Sometimes it helps us to feel it out. You see, very often when we just read through Scripture, we, we miss out on the fact that these, these aren't stories. These aren't once upon a time. 
These are real people who really experienced real things and saw God work in extraordinary ways. And so creative contemplation, it helps us to flesh it out. It helps us to feel it out. The Bible is a book full of emotion. Habits of meditation. Well, the first one was conscious consideration, utter. Slow down, talk it out. You will never venture below the surface if we don't learn to slow down. The second one was creative contemplation. Imagine, put yourself there. Draw it out. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 15 and verse number 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Again, back to, uh, back to Christian Jeopardy. Uh, which one of these English words is the same Hebrew word as Joshua 1 and verse number 8? I feel like this is probably the easiest one of the bunch. So... Uh, uh, let's see. Now that I've said it's the easiest one, who wants to, who wants to volunteer? George Jenkinson. Studieth. He got it. So this one is studieth. So if the first one was conscious consideration, slow down, talk it out. The second one was creative contemplation. Imagine, put yourself there, draw it out. This one I call cross-examination. Study investigate. Investigation requires something called critical thinking. Often, insights come with context. Context comes from examination. And so we're asking the investigative questions. Who's involved? Who's speaking? Who's being spoken to? What is being spoken? Where is it? Where are the events happening? Why is this taking place? You know, sometimes it's good for us. You think about the parables of Jesus. If you stop and ask, why is Jesus telling this story? It'll help you understand what the story means. The parables are some of the most misinterpreted portions of scriptures because they're stories that people pluck out of the Bible and then they use them to prove whatever it is they want to prove. But you know what? Jesus told the story for a reason. God spoke the words that he did for a reason. And so if we simply stop and ask, why? Why was Jesus telling this story? Why was God telling this to Abraham at this point? Why was God doing this? If we ask why, boy, sometimes it helps us understand what the scripture is really meaning. How? How are these things taking place? As I talk with people about how to study the Bible, I think a very simple formula is this. I have to start by asking myself, what what did God mean when he said this? I tell people the worst question that any Bible uh, student can ask is, what does this mean to me? Because no offense, who cares what it means to you? Right? What did God mean when he said it? What did God mean when he inspired it? God meant it for a reason. By the way, once I understand why God said it, then I can ask not what does it mean to me, but what does this mean for me? So based on what God has said, what does this now mean for me? And that shows me how it applies to my life. But meditation, church, it's not all imagination. 
It requires critical thinking. Dive deeper. How many of us have ever read something in the Bible and we didn't really understand it right away? Oh, yeah, right? I had a question posed to me last night, and I was left going, um, yep, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yep. We've all been there. How many of us, though, have had something, and we studied, or we asked, or we read, or we dug a little deeper, and eventually the Holy Spirit did what? He illumined our hearts to the answer. You see, here's the problem. We are a culture who gives up too easy. If it's hard, we don't want to do it. We have been trained to think that if we have any problem, that the solution is as simple as Google. But sometimes, guess what? You have to work at it. You have to be a student. You have to be the farmer to dig in and to prepare and to do those things. You have to be the athlete to wrestle with the text and stay with it until what? Until the Holy Spirit illumines your heart. I think a lot of times we give up too easily when things are hard. But a habit of meditation is simply this. Hang in there. And don't come up and don't give up and don't walk away until you have your answer. It's kind of like Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. The habits of meditation. So we have to utter that, that idea of uttering and talking, that conscious consideration. Slow down and talk it out. We have the concept of imagination or creative contemplation. Put yourself there. Draw it out in real life. Flesh it out. Feel it out. We have the word study, that aspect of investigation or cross-examination. Ask the questions. Hang in there when it's hard. One more. This is probably the toughest one. Isaiah 16 and verse number 7. Therefore shall Moab howl for Moab, and everyone shall howl for the foundations of Ker. Haraseth, it's not that word, I can tell you that. <laughs> Ye shall mourn, surely they are stricken. One of these words, believe it or not, is the same Hebrew word that we see in Joshua 1 and verse number 8 for meditate. Any takers? Mr. Petrie. Mourn. Mourn. It is, he's got the glasses on tonight, so I knew he was on it. It is the word mourn. You think about mourn. Mourning is an example of a state of really being emotionally consumed. You think about the example here of mourning. It, uh, to mourn, it would taint everything you say and do. There is a concentration and a captivation that occurs when we mourn. And, and, and that concept, how it applies into meditation, is, is, it, is, it, is it shows that concentration and captivation that, that, that the word emotionally has in us. How it engages not just our mind and, and not just our imagination and not just our focus. It engages us even at an emotional level. It colors and flavors and touches every aspect of our life. It frames our reality. And so I call this emotional captivation. When we meditate on the Word, the Scripture moves us. It moves us. 
The Bible is, is a living book. Amen. Quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is alive. And when we meditate on the Word, it does. It fills our mind and it fills our imagination. It fills our focus. But it fills our heart. And it saturates our whole being and frames our reality. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. A conscious consideration, a creative contemplation, a cross-examination, and an emotional captivation. So we've seen some of the hindrances. We've seen some of the habits of meditation. But I want to illustrate here as we close tonight, really the help that comes from, from meditation. The help from meditation. We know Joshua 1 in verse number 8. Uh, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Why? For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That sounds like good help to me, amen? I, I want to succeed. I want to be prosperous. Uh, Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, give a, give a similar indication. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Look at the results. Look at the help. And he shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Think about Mary. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. How Mary must have pondered and meditated on the words of Gabriel. How Mary must have meditated and pondered on the words that that Joseph heard on the words of the shepherd, on the promises of God, and how Mary in her heart must have began to connect the dots and put together the reality that this child that God had given her proves that God meant everything that He had said. Proves that God had a greater plan than she could ever imagine. Proved that God was working miracles beyond her understanding. And proved that God would accomplish His will and fulfill His promises in spite of the chaos and carnality around her. You know, church, Jesus is the gift that gives me much to think about. He is so much more than a fire escape from hell or a spare tire when life gets a flat. Oh, to think about Jesus, to think about who he is, the names of Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he is the Rose of Sharon. He is the Son of God. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. Think about who he is. Amen. Meditate on it. Oh, Jesus is the gift that gives me much to think on.
Not just who He is, but what He is. Think about the fact that as God, He is almighty. That He is omnipresent. That He is as much with me as He is with you. We don't have to argue about who gets Jesus today. Because He'll never leave or forsake any of us. You think about what He is to us. He is faithful and true. He is gracious and merciful. He is good and He is kind. Jesus gives us much to think about, doesn't He? To connect the dots and think about where He is. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. And He's not a suffering Savior on a cross. And He's not a dead martyr in a tomb. He is the risen, glorified Son of God. And He is seated at the right hand of God in power today, making intercession for us. And one day, He's coming back for us. Amen? I'm going to tell you, if we take some time to think on Jesus, we're going to find like Mary, that God will truly do all that He has said He will do that God has a greater plan than we could ever imagine, that God is working miracles beyond our understanding, and that God will accomplish His will and fulfill His promises in spite of the chaos and carnality around us. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's, It's food for thought. It's soul food. I like it better. We're changing it before we post it. And so what do we need to do? Meditate. Ponder. Not just this season, but every season. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I use Christmas colors, kind of. That was supposed to be red, and that was supposed to be green. Didn't really work out, did it? Bill Brown, if that falls, I am so sorry. I know he's nervous. I am too. All right. We'll blame Charles if anything bad happens. Immerse yourself in Jesus this year. Meditate on Him. Ponder Him. Treasure Him. His person, His plan, His promises, His power, His perfection, His presence. Saturate yourself with Him. Think about this. Meditation, like a sponge. Meditation is not emptying your mind and your being. Meditation is filling your mind and your being. Let this bad-looking red, let this represent the world. Here's the thing. If I, say, if I immerse myself in the world, when life squeezes me, what's going to come out? The world. The world. It makes sense, right? So, I mean, even in this Christmas season, if I immerse myself in the carnality and the consumerism of the world, when life squeezes me and life's going to squeeze me, what's going to come out? The world. Hmm. That's not what we want, is it? We'll let this represent self. If I immerse myself in self, when life squeezes me, and by the way, life's going to squeeze you. Just wait till you get to work tomorrow. What's going to come out? Just wait till the kids won't go to bed tonight. But if life is about me, Hmm, what's going to come out? Self. You see, it matters what we saturate ourselves with. By the way, 
I think a trend today, there's a lot of people burning out. People just burning out all over the place. And the reason is, is because we're not really engaged in anything. We're not living life. Life is living us. And if you don't engage in anything, guess what? You're going to be dry and fragile and abrasive. But don't immerse yourself in the world. We don't want that coming out, do we? Don't immerse yourself in yourself. We don't want that coming out. But if I immerse myself in the Word, if I immerse myself in the Spirit of God, when I go home tonight, my kids are sassy, what's going to come out? The Word and the Spirit of God. If I immerse myself in the Lord Jesus Christ and work gets hard tomorrow, my half-mile commute, I get cut off by somebody in front of the elementary school. And I get pressed on by the world. If I'm full of the Spirit, what's going to come out? By the way, I didn't do this with the other because I didn't want to stain anybody's clothes. If I'm, full of the world, not, if I'm full of the Word and I'm meditating and immersed in the Lord Jesus Amen. and life tosses me around a little bit, Amen. what's going to come out? The Word. The Spirit. Spiritual things. Now let me ask you. Let me ask you. If I left this right here, don't worry, Mr. Brown, I'm not going to let it mess up the wood. If I left that right there, when you came for the school Christmas play tomorrow, would it still be full of the Word? No, it'd be dry and crusty. I'm going to tell you, if you wait to get back into the Word until Sunday, guess what? You're going to be dry and crusty before the sun goes down tomorrow. You see, meditating is about saturating ourselves with God. His word, His grace, His goodness. And I really can't think of a better season than the Christmas season to stop and to treasure these things and like Mary, ponder them in our hearts. Father, we love you. And Lord,